on this episode of Catholics in the Capital. Sister Joseph Andrews from the Dominican Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist, and Catholic convert and lawyer Julian Heron. Father Jack Hurley from the Cathedral of St. Matthews and Dan Dan, the radio man. All this and more. Catholics in the Capital starts right now. Hi, I am Christina Cox, your radio host for Catholics in the Capital, and welcome to our weekly radio show. And today we have a very special hello for our new listeners in Virginia and Maryland. Welcome. You're not going to want to miss our special show today, and you're going to want to meet one of our special guests. Joining us is Sister Joseph Andrews, and she is the foundress and music director of the Dominican Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist. The sisters are from Ann Arbor, Michigan, and she will talk to us about their new album called Jesu, Joys of Man's Desiring. Later in the show, Mike, our producer, will be playing some of their music, so you will hear those beautiful voices, and it's just heavenly. It's no wonder the sisters have toppled the billboard charts multiple times, and they have been covered on CBS, Fox, NPR, Washington Post, and the New York Times. They teach in the missions all over the world and have been described as Oprah's nuns. They have the voices of angels. We will talk with Sister Joseph about how the order started and how they were helped by former New York Archbishop John Cardinal O'Connor and how his eminence supported the order of the sisters with the mother house relocation plus his relationship with Mother Assumpta. You will learn all about St. Dominic, the patron saint. Let me tell you, in 1216, he founded the Order of Preachers. Dominic was a man of remarkable character and always gave importance to the role of women. He installed the nuns in San Sisto in Rome. He also had a vision of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Our Lady gave strict instructions to St. Dominic of how to pray the rosary. St. Dominic lived through tough times of heresy and through the medieval crusades in the 12th and 13th century. He was known to have done miracles like saving a child that had died. He raised a child from the dead after the child laid in the mother's arms, and he did countless miracles to save souls. His mission was to bring every human being the service of Christ and was known to be constantly reading St. Matthew's Gospels and St. Paul's letters. He was a fantastic role model as a saint and is still popular today. Later in the show, my co-host Dan is going to interview Julian Heron, a lawyer from Tuttle, Taylor, and Heron. Julian will talk about his leap of faith into the Catholicism and will share his story of conversion to the Catholic faith. He became a Third Order Dominican in 1996 and is now fully professed. He also shares with us his devotion to the Dominican Sisters of Mary. And in the spring, Julian hosts a golf tournament with the sisters and helps them fundraise for their order. After that, we'll catch up with Dan Dan, the radio man, and we're going to chat up some fun events that are happening here in the district. Some new concerts that are happening around town, and you won't want to miss that. Father Jack Hurley will be with us from Cathedral of St. Matthews, and we're going to talk about saints honored this week. St. Hilary, who was a convert to Christianity and was baptized in 345. He was a bishop 
and a theologian, and St. Hilary was known for his extensive writings on the Holy Trinity. He was proclaimed a doctor of the church in 1851. And then Father's going to talk a little bit about Martin Luther King Jr., because on Monday, January 15th, we celebrate his day. He was a Southern preacher, a man who believed in equality for all people, regardless of race or color. And on August 28, 1963, his march on Washington was for jobs and freedom and took place on the Washington Mall. His famous speech called I Have a Dream was historic, and some have compared this equal to Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. Father Jack will share with us some reflections on on his life, so you want to stay tuned for that. Before we introduce our special guest, Sister Joseph Andrews, stay tuned because Mike, our producer, will play one of the songs from the album, Jesus, Joy of Man's Desiring. Then we'll be back to meet Sister Joseph Andrews, so stay tuned. Welcome back to Catholics in the Capital. Here's your host, Christina Cox. Hello, Sister Joseph Andrews. Welcome to Catholics in the Capital today. We're excited to have you on the program, and we've just been listening to your CD, the new Christmas album. How are you? I am fine, and thank you so very much, Christy. I'm very happy to be in Catholics in the Capital. Wonderful. I understand this year your community is celebrating its 20th anniversary. Yes. So, so as foundress of this community and an explosive number of young women, how did you decide to accept a proposal to put out a global Christmas album in Sony Music? Well, actually, this is our third CD, and they have all been so very well received. Not that we uh, ever planned to do even the first one, but people who um, know and love the community and, and those who have heard of us and or have come to the prayers at the Mother House and have heard the sisters sing, they just keep asking for more and more of our music. So 
uh, it was such an overwhelming request. Please do a Christmas CD that this year, as part of our 20th anniversary, we said we will put out that Christmas CD that they've been asking and asking for. And so, yeah, we did. Well, you have such an interesting background, including a musical one. For example, when you were in your early 20s, you wrote a track on the album titled Snowflakes. That's true. Could you ever imagine that at a young age, after entering religious life, that you would be winding up topping the the charts with the album? (laughs) I mean, it's, it's incredible. I have to I have to say I I have really learned that our God is a God of surprises. So <laughs> but no I would have never begun to imagine anything of this sort. You're you're totally correct. Uh-huh. They say it's the number one classical recording on Billboard, Amazon, iTunes and right up there with the piano guys and Josh Groban. That's right. Mm-hmm. Wow. And it has been for a number of months now, several months. It came out on October 13th, the 100th anniversary of Our Lady's apparition in Fatima, um, of the apparition of the sun and all that. And so it came out on that particular anniversary, which we did on purpose since we dedicated, of course, to Jesus through Mary. And ever since, pretty much, it has just risen to the top and stayed up there. But you know, Christy, it just really says to me, people want God. And they get that beautiful sense of peace, interior peace, just kind of invades one's heart and and takes over when we listen to this beautiful music. And it's, um, it's challenging, and it's inspiring, and it's restful. So... Yeah, yeah. Well, the the voices of the of the sisters sound like angels. I mean, they take us to Aww. another place, another spiritual dimension. It's just so beautiful. I lo- happen to like that song, that the sleep little Jesus, and I understand that's a Polish oh, lullaby. Could you tell is, us about that? Yes. Well, being Polish, I just love that particular one. And also, since the organ and the violin and the flute accompany so many of these, and there's also a cappella recordings as well, but I've always just loved that particular one, and it really goes, so we begin with Silent Night, and we go into that, and then um, I was very blessed to be able to play the guitar behind that, you know, just just, um, to pick the the various strings, so it's, it's a string instrument very lightly, and so it really gives the feeling of what Silent Night was written for, which was the guitar in Austria, you know, several hundred years ago, and then we go right into that very plaintive, very beautiful soul, so calling forth, um, that beautiful hymn, you know, Lulage, which is Sleep Little Jesus, so yeah, I love that one. Do you think mothers used to sing that uh, when they were rocking their baby to sleep? Definitely they did. Definitely. It, it, is, it is a lullaby. And to a certain extent, it has that same kind of soft, um, yeah, that soft beauty, that, that silent night. So that's why we combine those two. So we go back and forth between um, the silent night, the Polish version of Lulage, and then the English, and then back into silent night for that particular piece. Wonderful. I heard that the average age of the sisters is around 30 years old, and they come from all backgrounds in life. Who selects the music and the songs and where, um, you know, the sisters play the instrument, and some of them sing? Tell us about that. Okay. 
you're you're correct. We uh, in 20 years we've grown from four sisters to 137. And yes. the average age is, is 31 years old. And the sisters, the young women do come from all over. In fact, we have our first Australian, and then there's other girls from other countries that are certainly very serious about it as they move towards possible acceptance. But the vast majority, um, also some from Canada, the vast majority come from the United States, all different states, all different backgrounds. They have to be at least 18 years old to enter, and they can be up into their early 30s. So that gives us such a beautiful and healthy, wide variety of young women in today's world that will be going out there to teach and preach, which is the Dominican 800-year-old charism, teach and preach the truth. And again, I think that is so beautiful. So one of the ways that we certainly can teach and preach is through the arts. And so we have very artistic sisters um, in regards to, you know, painting and sculpting, et cetera, and then very musical sisters. And our sisters are just absolutely um The music is a part of who we are in the way that we pray. And so to do a CD of our music is is really easy for us. I mean, we don't need to really practice and get in tune because our liturgies are full of this this kind of music. So it's, it's, it's a joy to be able to do it and to come into people's homes and just be a part of their settings and their family as they open up their hearts more and more deeply to to listen to Christ, you know, as he speaks through this beautiful music. Well, to us, uh, the album is like prayer in motion. And uh, I have um, read that the uh, it was recorded in the Mother House Chapel. And tell that's us that's correct. And who was Brad Mitchell or is it, uh, Michael? Oh, Michael. Michael I'm uh-huh. sorry, the producer. Right. Tell us about yes. him. He is wonderful. He has done production for all the super populars in every genre of music. He comes from a very wide variety and and background. And so the one music he hasn't heard much of was our kind. And um, so when he first came, he had to kind of open his heart a little bit deeper, I, I do believe. And he finally said, you know, I realize everything that the sisters sing is a prayer he said, I'm, I'm not used to that. That isn't the way the world tends to make albums and sing and produce music. So it was just a beautiful thing um, when he left. I think it really had affected him, and he is a good, good, good man and a very talented artist. It's like God sent him to you. Exactly. <laughs> I do believe God did send him to us. Mm-hmm. I agree with you completely on that. Well, Sister Joseph, you know, my education was from the Dominican Sisters of Amityville, Long Island. Oh, my goodness. And I went to St. Hughes of Lincoln in 1960, and the, the Dominican Sisters taught the elementary school there in Huntington, Long Island. And then later on, I had a, a very good friend called Sister Janet Fitzgerald, the, the president of Malloy College. May oh, she rest in peace. So I am a big fan of uh, the sisters there. And, um, of course, you know, growing up, I learned about uh, St. Dominic. He was one of my favorite saints. I learned how the sisters came from Germany in 1852, and they came to help the poor and help educate all the schools and parishes. So uh, we have somebody that uh, in common. Of course, uh, I was, uh, you know, a friend, associate of John Cardinal O'Connor. 
And oh, there you go. So yeah. I would love you to tell our audience about how Cardinal uh, O'Connor helped the sisters. We love him. I do believe he is a saint. So when we, uh, four of us from another Dominican community, um, we had lived Dominican life, so we knew exactly, and we knew that the Holy Spirit was asking us, and this is the way the Dominican order grows, is uh, one group branches off and forms another, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that's the, the history of the Dominican women in particular, because each Dominican community is autonomous. So in any case, you need a benevolent bishop to do this. Cardinal O'Connor had been a longtime friend of Mother Assumpta, our right. superior. So he had invited her and the group, anyway, the, the four of us total, to come up to New York as, as he believed in this and knew this. Mother had already been up there for a year or so because she had helped him form his Sisters of Life. So she knew them very well and knew the New York priests. And it was just, uh, it just was perfect, really. And so he, we will never be able to thank him enough for the role that he played so that so quickly. Um, well, I'm sure he was proud to help you and oh, help all goodness. the sisters. And today his name lives on. Well, oh, he, he is just, he's just saintly. So we made our first vows to the church through him uh, in his private chapel there at St. Patrick's in New York. Well, we only have a few minutes left, Sister Joseph, and I'd like you to tell our listeners where they can find the CD and, okay. uh, and the website and all the information. Okay, they can find, you can find our Yezu Joy of Man's Desiring Christmas with the Dominican Sisters of Mary on our website, which is www.sistersofmary.org. So that's S-I-S-T-E-R-S-O-F-M-A-R-Y dot org. Also, certainly on iTunes, on Amazon, and Barnes and Noble, um, you name it. I think it has been put everywhere this particular Christmas, and hopefully, it will remain there and, and serve for many Christmases to come. Yeah. Well, thank you, Sister Joseph. It was a pleasure to have you on Catholics in the Capital, and we will God continue. We'll continue to keep the sisters in our prayers, and God bless you and all the wonderful work the Dominican and. sisters do. And thank you and all that you do as Catholics in the Capitol. Thank you. you. Catholics in the Capitol will return right after this break on 1160 AM WMET. Thank you. 
And now we have our special guest, Father Jack Hurley of Cathedrals of St. Matthew's with us. Hi, Father. How are you? Fine, thank you. I'm glad that the weather is warming up a little bit. Yes, it's going to be 60 today on Friday. going to be a lot warmer than it was last week. And on Monday, we have a special holiday. That's right. This coming Monday, January 15th, we celebrate the birthday of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. as a national holiday. While he was not a Roman Catholic and not a formally canonized saint, nevertheless, this Baptist minister and civil rights leader is recognized by the church as a remarkable preacher, proponent of nonviolence in the civil rights struggle, and a witness of Christian belief up to the time of his murder in 1968. I first came to appreciate his remarkable preaching in an elective course that I took as a seminarian at Mount St. Mary's in Emmitsburg, along with Augustine, Thomas Aquinas, John Christostom, and others. Our teacher, Father Fickner, included Martin Luther King, Jr. He noted his broad academic background, his role in the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, and his position as co-pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta. Dr. King's sermons were characterized by their simplicity, humility, courage, and a rich baritone voice in which he would extend vowels to almost three times their normal length. The example we studied was delivered in 1959 at the time of the Montgomery, Alabama bus strike and entitled, What is Man? Here he declared, man has strayed to the far countries of secularism, materialism, sexuality, and racial injustice. His journey has brought a moral and spiritual famine in Western civilization, but it is not too late to return home. Powerful and challenging words, ending with, God grant that we will choose the highway and that everywhere and at all times we shall be known as men who are crowned with glory and honor. King, of course, is most particularly known for his I Have a Dream speech, at the August 28, 1963 March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. Not as well known, perhaps, is that the first resident Archbishop of Washington, Patrick, later Cardinal O'Boyle, played a significant role in the event and gave the invocation. O'Boyle himself was known for his opposition to racism and as one of his first acts as Archbishop graciously integrated the Catholic schools of Washington six years before the U.S. Supreme Court ruled segregation unconstitutional. In this vein, O'Boyle's present successor, Cardinal Donald Wuerl, just this past November released a letter urging Catholics to confront and help overcome the sin of racism. The legacy of Martin Luther King Jr., a man not without personal shortcomings, a man who was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize, a man who was arrested some 30 times, continues to influence the Christian independent of civil rights and the struggle against racism. And in this regard, there will be a special celebration of King's legacy tomorrow afternoon, January 13th, at St. Joseph Catholic Church in Lago, Maryland. The event will begin with a film at 1.30, followed by discussion, Praise and worship featuring the Archdiocese Gospel Mass Choir, 
and close with Mass at 5 p.m. with Bishop Roy Campbell, Jr. as the main celebrant. Well, that sounds like an interesting Mass, Father. I would love to go to that. And I think when you brought up about Cardinal O'Boyle, I never had the chance to meet him, but, you know, when I was working on my book, I have a picture of Martin Luther King Jr. in there, and when I did my research, actually at the Cathedral Archives, that I found out that he was very supportive and did the invocation. So that must have been a very moving and uh, a time when even, you know, President Kennedy didn't even go to the march, but yet we had the Catholic Church and represented there by the Cardinal. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, Cardinal O'Boyle already brought with him to Washington a reputation as one who was very involved in social concerns matters. He was traditional in his outlook, uh, in his religious outlook, but he did stand out already, and as is indicated by his first indications to first efforts to integrate the Catholic schools in the Archdiocese. That kind of kicked off his, his activity here in Washington. He did have some problems a little later with uh, doing that in Southern Maryland, but uh, it, did, it did work out very well. Well, that was very brave that he did that. Somebody had to start getting involved in the schools and the segregation and all of that. Well, look forward to uh, going to that Mass. And I just happened to go to the Museum of the Bible on Sunday, and I went into one section, and there was a huge mural dedicated to Martin Luther King. Mm. But it was basically about his preaching. And I understand that there was a fight between his kids of who was going to get the Bible. <laughs> there was actually a lawsuit. But anyway, so that was very interesting. Who else do you have today? Well, tomorrow, January 13th, the church celebrates the Feast of St. Hilary, Bishop of Poitiers in France, and one whom St. Augustine called the most illustrious doctor of the church. Here in the United States, he has a name, of course, which relates to both male and female, as the example of Mrs. Hillary Clinton shows. We can think, for example, of other names that can be appropriate for both genders such as that of the former mayor of Washington, Marion Barry. Living in the fourth century, Hillary stood out as a vigorous and outspoken defender of the divinity of Christ. At a time when the Arian heresy maintained, sometimes violently, that while Jesus Christ was the greatest of creatures, he was not the equal of God. While Hillary's manner has been described as courteous and friendly, his own writings and actions in defending the uniqueness of Christ could sometimes be severe in tone. St. Jerome referred to him as the trumpet of the Latins against the Arians. His most famous work on the Trinity was written against the Arians during a period in which he found himself in exile in the East. Following the earlier Council of Nicaea in 325, which had declared the divinity of Christ, Hillary's area in Gaul became the center of Nicene Orthodoxy in the West, and Hillary its principal proponent. After he was greeted from exile with great enthusiasm, including by the later St. Martin of Tours, Hillary convened a synod of the bishops in Paris in 361, at which the original Nicene Creed was ratified completely and unambiguously. A few decades later, the full creed as we now know it was adopted at the Ecumenical Council of Constantinople. The prayer that we can most associate with Hillary is the Nicene Creed, certainly with its words identifying Jesus, 
I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. When we recite this creed every Sunday following the Gospel homily, we are not only identifying Jesus but ourselves as well and what our lives are all about. So a simple prayer here might be, St. Hilary, help us to grow in our awareness of Jesus as our Lord and brother. Well, that's interesting, Father. So tell us about uh, his most famous work on the Trinity. Have you ever read that, or do you know what it's about? Well, to a large extent, it is a defense of the divinity of Christ. And, of course, here the Holy Spirit, obviously, would play an important role. And actually, his time in exile in the East, uh, when he wrote this, gave him the opportunity, too, to come in contact more with the teachings of the uh, great Eastern defender of the faith, St. Athanasius. And this undoubtedly uh, you know, influenced his, his views, which became very important in the Latin church. Did he come from a, a well-to-do family? That's an interesting question because, of course, the, the opportunity for study would have been more limited. But he did have some education. He came from a, a fairly by those standards at the time, you know, well-off family. Well, we learned a lot. Thank you, Father. Is there anything going on at the cathedral this week or anything that we should know about this weekend? Well, we're uh, getting ready for our involvement in the uh, Right to Life uh, activities on Friday the 19th, and there will be several dioceses celebrating Mass at the cathedral the day before at different times, almost on the hour, as it were, whether they're from Baton Rouge or from uh, St. Louis. And then on Friday, we will have the other principal Mass in the morning, Mm -hmm. beginning at uh, 9.30, but preceded for about half an hour or so by uh, rally and music. And the uh, celebrant there will be... uh, our Auxiliary Bishop, Mario Dorsonville. Oh, well, I'll have to come down for that. That's very interesting. Well, thank you, Father Jack, for joining us. It was great to see you again and keep that warm weather you know, going. We don't want to go back to the cold. That's for sure. Well, God bless you and every, all your work that you're doing for right, the Lord. And we, and we pray today for our, our Bishop Nesta, who is being installed as Bishop of Richmond. That's right. That's wonderful. Yes, I look forward to watching that in EWTN. Well, God bless, Father.
Hi, we're back at Catholics in the Capitol, and I'm here with my co-host, Dan Dan, the radio man. How are you, Dan? I am great, Christina. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. You know, I'm thinking about what you said last week about reading the Bible a little each day, so I was kind of inspired by that. So after we did the uh, interview last week with Dr. Tony Zeiss, who's the executive director of the Museum of the Bible, I decided to go down there on Sunday and make a visit, and it was fantastic. And what did you see when you went there, Christina? What was... uh Anything amaze you there, or was it just overall just a very overwhelming experience? Well, I spent experience? two hours, and I actually uh, started on the top floor and then worked my way down. But um, one of the—I mean, they have a history floor. They have another floor that displays all different Bibles from all over the world. What I thought was interesting was the King James Bible that started in 1611. I didn't really realize all that history. Of course, it was one of the first— Bibles that was done in English at that time, because other Bibles used to be in Greek and Latin and all that. And then they showed another uh, exhibit of how they had the printing presses and uh, and they have uh, sound and music. There's so much to see. You just continually are walking from one room to the next. Now, was two hours enough time to get through everything in the Bible Museum? No, that's why I'm going back again this Sunday. Okay, wonderful. wonderful. <laughs> I'm inspired, and I also downloaded on my cell phone a, a Bible Catholic Study Bible app. So now I can read along and, uh, and wherever I am and study. So thank you for bringing that up last week. Well, I'm glad you got on the train and you're reading a little bit of that Bible day by day. Um, and we know next week is going to be a, a big week here in D.C., with uh, the March for Life is coming up on uh, March, um, not March, but January 19th. I don't want to get the month wrong here. But, uh, and so we have that coming up and that's, uh, you know, starts at the National Mall on March 19th on Friday, uh, about 12th Street. And then uh, they'll, I think, have opening music from Christian artist Plum. Mm -hmm. Then they'll have a a rally after the performance. And then after the rally, they'll do the march up Constitution Avenue up to the Supreme Court and Capitol Building. From there, I think there will be different testimonies and different uh, speakers. And I know some of the speakers this year is uh, Pam Tebow. She's the mother oh. of Tim Tebow, mm-hmm. uh, former NFL player, and I think now currently trying to make it in baseball. And then there will also be Matt Burke with his wife. He's a former NFL player. That's interesting. And then uh, you know, nice thing to see is they're going to have congressmen from both sides of the party. So I know they have Dan Lipinski, who's a Democrat from Illinois, and then Chris Smith, who's a Republican from New Jersey. And then uh, Sister Bethany Madonna with the, the Sisters of Life, she'll be another speaker. But I know they're always waiting for that. They have that big surprise speaker. Uh, last year was uh, Vice President Mike Pence. They don't know yet if he'll speak, but I think a lot of people are anticipating that. But then, you know, they have events leading up to it. So one of the things they have is uh, March for Life Expo, which is at the Renaissance in uh, Washington, D.C. on 9th Street. And that will be uh, Thursday and Friday, so the 18th and the 19th. That That's where they're going to have a lot of, uh, you know, exhibitors, pro-lifers from across the country and different organizations. Great way to connect with people. And I know they're giving away free swag and different items to that. But then also on the 18th is the uh, March for Life Conference. And I know that they'll have different speakers. Headline is Stephanie Gray. I don't know if people know her. She's from Canada. No, I don't know who. Who is she? Uh, she's from Canada. She's a, she's a great pro-lifer. She's probably most well-known for a recent um video she did at Google. She gave a talk at Google. They bring in different experts every so often. She gave a talk, and I think it, uh, even a lot of people who are not even pro-life uh, were very uh, inspired by it. So she's going to be headlining that, and they're just going to be talking about whatever their agenda or theme is for this year. So that's very exciting. But I know uh, there's a few other events next week. 
for listeners? Well, it's also the Basilica of the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception, and they're going to host the Thursday, January 18th, the Mass at 5.30 p.m. in the Upper Church, and Timothy Cardinal Dolan, who is the Archbishop of New York, will be saying the Mass. And they're kind of known for the National Prayer Vigil for Life. It's an all-night pro-life prayer vigil held on the eve of the March of Life in January. And over 20,000 pilgrims come into the Basilica. Can you believe that? Wow. In such a short period of time, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, so I guess the schedules for those two days are going to be on their website in the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception. And um, they will also be having confessions and rosaries there. And the following morning, the prayer vigil includes morning prayer, benediction, and the closing mass, which is the following day. So this is going to bring in a lot of people into our city. And then there's going to be the Rose Dinner, which I guess is part of the March for Life activities. And they're still selling tickets. They're like $100. And they are going to have this big dinner and have a speaker. And tickets are available on their website. So do you plan to uh, participate or go down? or? Well, we uh, usually have a lot of different uh, hosts from different uh, Catholic radio programs that want come into town that, that we can use our studio. So we'll kind of... We're going to have to see. It's going to be a wait and see for us uh, to see who's going to come in and record here live. But, yeah, if we have a chance, we're going to hopefully get out. We're looking maybe to do something Thursday at St. John Paul II National Shrine, possibly because they're having some events there also for the March for Life Week. But, uh, yeah, it's just a great time because so many people come from across the country, but I know even people come internationally. So it's amazing to see people come out for this event, and it's grown every year. Um, and I, I don't have the, the actual numbers off the top of my head, most recent numbers, but I know it's just it's an unbelievable number of people that come in for this event. It's just amazing. And a lot of young people, too. That's the amazing thing, to see younger people who are passionate about this cause. Very true. And even Father Jack Hurley mentioned that they're preparing Masses in the morning as well on those two days. So I guess uh, they're trying to accommodate so many of the Catholics and also Christians. You don't have to be Catholic to go to a Mass, right? You can be a visitor and... Yeah, all are welcome. Yeah, it's any Catholic Mass. Don't have to be Catholic, don't have to be Christian. Uh, Just come on in and uh, and participate. And and you also, when you were mentioning Mike Pence, I remember I wasn't able to see it live, but I looked at the video of Kelly Ann Conway, and her speech was really good, I guess... You know, she had only been in the White House for a couple of weeks, and they went down together, her and Mike Pence, and were able, she delivered, uh, I thought, a very good speech, being a Catholic from New Jersey, and she also attended um, Trinity Washington University here. Her and Mike Pence giving, yeah, a very inspirational talk on the the need for, you know, pro-life causes, so... And you never know. She might be one of the surprise guests speaking last minute. It might be Vice President Mike Pence. But I would, you know, implore people just to, if they want more information, go to uh, marchforlife.org. That's going to give you all the information, events, information, where things take place, what time, who will be talking. So marchforlife.org. Thank you. Well, great, Dan. I look forward then to um, hearing your interview later with Julian Heron. And um, thank you for that information of things to do in Washington, D.C.
Welcome back to Catholics in the Capital. I'm Dan DiBiase. Today I'm joined in studio with Julian Heron, who's an attorney and partner with the law firm Tuttle, Taylor & Heron here in the district. He currently serves as a member of the Agricultural Technical Advisory Committee for Fruits and Vegetables. In the past, he's been a staff member on the President's Advisory Committee for Trade Negotiations from President Ronald Reagan all the way through President George W. Bush. He's a Third Order Dominican, and we're going to talk to Julian about his uh, special connection with the Dominican Order. Thank you for being with us today, Julian. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to have you in. And uh, so your professional background, you're an attorney, and you have a more of an extensive practice in areas of administrative law and foreign trade. Now, for the regular listener, can you kind of explain what that means and what that means on a day-to-day life for you as a C- practitioner? Certainly. In the foreign trade area, it's primarily helping exports of U.S. agricultural commodities such as almonds. Almonds uh, from California are exported to over 100 countries worldwide, and uh, almonds are the largest export from California. Blue Diamond, which is a grower-owned nonprofit cooperative, is the main exporter of these products. So you work a lot with, let's say, U.S. farmers or U.S. agriculture industry to help bring exports to other countries. That's correct. Okay, wonderful, wonderful work. So how did you get started in such an area of work? Well, when I started out of the Air Force uh, with the firm that I joined then, Pope Ballard and Lowe's, uh, they represented a lot of cooperatives around the country and uh, particularly in California. And I always wanted to be a farmer, so the best next thing was representing farmers. Wonderful. And so you're a practicing Catholic. So how has your faith impacted in your professional everyday life as an attorney? Well, it makes a big difference because uh, obviously you have to uh, be honest. You have to be truthful. Those are two things often not associated with lawyers. (laughs) (laughs) And unfortunately, that that is the perception. But but I'm sure for a practicing Catholic attorney, that is not the case. Now, you have a little bit of an interesting story because you're a convert to the faith. That's correct. Um, And I believe you converted, you came to the church in 1994. That's correct. I'm just curious, what was, if you did have a faith life before that, what was that previous to becoming I Catholic? was an Episcopal. Okay. And were you practicing in, in that church? or Yes. Uh, not the same as now in the Catholic Church, but uh, I was an Episcopal. It suited me then. There were no rules as far as I knew. <laughs> <laughs> so what kind of led you? What was the impetus for leading you to the well, Catholic Church? I always had in mind that maybe someday I would be a Catholic. My... Uh, Godmother was Catholic, and my dad, although not Catholic, made us watch Bishop Sheen every week when he was on television. And as I was going through the conversion, I would think, as I would learn different things, yes, I believe that. Yes, I believe that. And then I started asking, why do you believe that? And I think it must have been from Bishop Sheen. It was just in the back of my mind. But the trigger was uh, my wife's Catholic, and I went to church with her every Sunday. And the first time I ever heard Father Vizzano preach, I said, that's it. I'm I'm changing. I'm converting. I'd never heard a priest that it was so clear he believed every word he was saying, and that that did it for me. That groundwork with Fulton Sheen, and then it was just, you know, one priest coming in and just kind of that final impetus to just— Move you over into the Catholic Church. Now, there soon after, in around 96, you 
joined, and now a lot of people not, might not be familiar with the Third Order of Dominicans. Mm-hmm. Um, could you kind of explain, you know, what what that is? Sure. And how ha- you came to be to do it. Okay. Uh, the uh, I was at adoration one night and getting sleepy, so I decided I would walk around to the different statues at St. Catherine's in Great Falls and say a little prayer, and movement would wake me up. So when I came to the last statue. St. Teresa, there was a little pamphlet there that said everybody ought to be a third order something. And I had no idea what that meant, but I picked it up and thought, well, if I read it, it will keep me awake. And so it went through the Carmelites and the Franciscans and the Benedictines, and then the last chapter was, but in reality, everybody ought to be at a Dominican. So I read that. And at that time, I didn't know it was probably written by a Dominican, but I assume it was. And I thought to myself, wow, if when I die, Dominicans around the world are praying for me, I might have a chance to slip through. So (laughs) I I went to see Father Vizzano a few days later. I already had a meeting scheduled. And I said, Father Vizzano, I want to be a third-order Dominican. I don't really know what it is, but I want to be one. And he said, that's amazing. My morning meditation was, should I start a chapter here at St. Catherine's? And you wouldn't know it, but I'm a third order Dominican. And so that got us started. And if we go back, St. Dominic, when he started the Dominican order in the 1200s, at that time, Europe was in a depression and many young girls were just thrown out on the street. So he actually gathered them up into convents, and that was, became the second order, and that was the beginning. Then the first order were the mendicant priests, uh, which through St. Dominic got the uh, ability to preach worldwide, not subject to the local bishop. And so they could go any place, and uh, they were just beggars. And then the third order is laymen like myself and uh, Dominican sisters and diocesan priests. And the most famous third order here in this country was Bishop Jean. I did not know that, yeah. I guess you're in good company because there's uh, some other lay Dominican saints are uh, St. Catherine of Siena. Correct. Uh, St. Rose of Lima, St. Martin de Porres. Yes. And then uh, a more popular one recently is uh, Blessed Pierre Giorgio for Sani. So Correct. Maybe uh, someday it'll be uh, St. Julian Aaron. I never- probably not. <laughs> <laughs> so you came in 96, and then funny thing is in 97, I'm not sure if you had any uh, contact with him, but it was started by uh, Mother Assumpta, a new order yes. uh, of Dominicans. Um, so Dominican Sisters of Mary, Mother of Eucharist. Yes. I know you have a strong relationship with them. Um, you're on one of their boards. Can you kind of explain how you connected with them and what your relationship yes, is with them? a friend them uh, brought Mother Assumpta and Sister Joseph Andrew to my office one day, and we went to lunch. And after lunch, I'd fallen in love with both of them and have been their servant ever since. And uh, they started with four in 97. Today, they're about 150, teaching all over the country, including in some public schools in full habit. And uh, they've been growing, so they need money just to feed the sisters. And so three people here, Mark Weber and uh, myself, and the third person, uh, unfortunately, has passed away. But we started a golf tournament and dinner for the sisters. And this coming year, 
It's October 1st at Westwood Country Club in Vienna. So I hope all the listeners will put that on their calendar and come. Is there a website uh, for the sisters or for the The sisters have a website. Yes, it's a wonderful website. And the golf tournament's on it, of course. Uh, It's uh, www.sistersofmary.org. And uh, you can right now... They have a new recording out, The Sisters Singing, which is number one on the charts. Yes, that is a wonderful uh, album. I, I, I've heard a l- little bit of it. Um, you're a father or a grandfather. I think five children, 11 grandchildren. Yourself. Correct. And now uh, one great-granddaughter who's not born yet, but on the way. Well, congratulations <laughs> as to that. You're a lay Dominican. In life's kind of ups and downs and trials that you face, what has the Catholic faith meant to you through all, all the oh, well, it's, tribulations? It's, Phenomenal because uh, I uh, just turn everything over to the Lord and whatever he has in mind is fine with me. And as my wife points out, I overwork my guardian angel <laughs> to get through things. Don't we all overwork our guardian <laughs> angels and in our, in our uh, favorite saints? Now, like we talked about, Dominican Sisters of Mary, mm-hmm. are there any other organizations or charities um, that you have a relationship or you, you're helping to m- promote? Yes, the uh, Dominican House of Studies uh, has a tournament uh, that's been known as the Rare Books Tournament, and it's going to change its name to Fairway to Heaven. Uh, it's on May 7th this coming year, and it helps support the Dominicans in the library there, which has a fantastic collection of rare books that are all handwritten Bibles, handwritten Bibles, handwritten uh, other books by great people before the printing press. And then I help with the Scanlon Cup, which uh, Father Pollard uh, does for the retired priests in Arlington. That's August 31st this year. So please put all those dates uh, on your calendar and come play with us. One last question before we wrap up. Is there anything from uh, Dominican spirituality that you would uh, that's been helping your life and your journey and that would be a, a you know blessing for our listeners to hear? Well, I think uh, just following St. Dominic and part of the Dominican order is to uh, pray for the Holy Father every day, to pray for deceased Dominicans every day, and to... Uh, pray and study and preach. And so that's what I try to do. Thank you, Julian, for being here with us today to let us know a little bit more about yourself, the things you have going on, the charities and uh, organizations you're trying to help. That wraps up our show today, and I hope you all enjoyed listening to our special guests. Sister Joseph Andrews, foundress and musical director of the Dominican Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist. Don't forget to order their CD, Jesu, Joy of the Man's Desiring. You can get that on their website or go to De Monte Forte Music. I'd like to thank Monica Fitzgibbons, who was the media director for the Sisters, and many of the other spiritual records for Sony and Universal for sending us the CDs. Next week's guests are the National Right to Life, President Carol Tobias, and Ernie Olaf, Director of Communications. We will get an insight to this group, which is one of the oldest and largest pro-life organizations and has 20 million pro-life followers. They have 50 state affiliates and maintain an NGO status in the United Nations. This is going to be some interview. 
Then Dan Dan, the radio man, will be co-hosting with me on the show with some new interviews and chatting up some fun events on what's happening here on the district. We will talk about some new exhibits around town, and you won't want to miss that. Don't forget to contact Dan and Mike about the fabulous car raffle going on. I know I'm going to purchase some tickets. I really like to win that car. How about you? And thank you to our spiritual friend, Father Jack, who was a wonderful priest from the famous Cathedral of St. Matthews. And don't forget about Martin Luther King Day on Monday, January 15th. Father Jack is saving souls every day with his good works. And his Cathedral Book Club is on Monday evenings. And you can learn all about that by going to the Cathedral of St. Matthew's webpage. I'd like to ask you to go to the Catholics in the Capitol Facebook page while you're at it and give us a like and tell us what you think about the show. Or if you have any questions, please email me. Do you need a special prayer or have any special saint you would like me to talk about? Well, you can email me directly at christinacox on grnonline.com. I also want to thank Michael Wasabaugh, our outstanding radio producer and announcer. He makes our show sound fabulous, and his outstanding radio talents and details of sound and editing for Catholics in the Capitol radio show are a work of art. Thank you, Mike. I'd like to remind our listeners of the GRN Capital Campaign and the importance of Catholic radio in our nation's capital. Please contact Dan at dan at GRN online for information of how you can donate to the Guadalupe Radio Network. Now, just before we end, three examples of people who spent time praying on their knees to ask for God's help. One of my favorites, St. Joan of Arc, prayed to Archangel Michael, patron saint of fighters, and to St. Catherine and to St. Margaret, for she had a vision of the saint when she was very young and later realized her calling. She had prayed to them for intercession and would ask God before going into battle what to do and ask God, was this his will? Especially, she tells us that she did not know what she wanted to do, and she had no strength left. She asked God to give her the word, and God always told her. Another example that I can think of is during the Civil War, the Battle of 1863. Father Corby, Irish Brigade, giving absolution before he blessed the soldiers before marching into battle. He often prayed with the soldiers before they marched into one of the worst wars in history. And thirdly, President George Washington, a former general, prayed also before battle. He was a holy man and carried his Bible with him on horseback. So are you going through a battle? Then you need to get down on your knees and start praying. So let us say this wonderful prayer to St. Michael today. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and the snares of the devil. May God rebuke him. We humbly pray and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the divine power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who roam throughout the world seeking to rule the souls. Amen. May Archangel Michael protect you and keep you safe. May God bless the Roman Catholic Church and God bless America.